cliffcentral.com. Hey, welcome back to the Garrett Cliff Show. Um, you are joined by myself, Mashy Mash, and the also fabulous, also always wonderful, Sis Pumi Mashejo. And this morning, <laughs> Sis Pumi, first of all, it's been quite a week. How do you feel about the week that has been, um, how can I put it? Transpiring in front of our eyes Or the fire that's been transpiring in front of our eyes Mesh, where were you in the first hour? I love that (laughs) (laughs) Must be that extra hour of sleep I was was driving behind a taxi in the first hour that's right. it, from Springs. That's what I was doing in the first hour. <laughs> when, when, when I was listening to the show and when Aaron was like, listen, when you're driving behind a slow taxi in the first lane, I was like, ah, that's me right now. <laughs> it has been. What's cool. Agalade is red, guys? I have absolutely no idea ever because it's the pits. But it, I've been having a good time that side. And I hope you guys have been having a good time as well. Please don't forget to tweet us on Twitter using hashtag GCS Live. Also use hashtag Burning Platform so you can see exactly what you guys think of the highlights of the Burning Platform that we'll be sharing with you guys later on today, as well as your thoughts on what has been transpiring throughout the week. So you got it together? We're, we're, we've got a, 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 a highlights package. Best <laughs> of. Best of. I believe up. so. I do believe so, Sis Pumi. And I'm so excited to see it. I haven't seen it at all, by the way. You I've, haven't seen it? I okay. haven't so seen it. So we literally have 12 minutes is what I've been told. We have 12 minutes. And I'm, I'm desperate to hear your thoughts mm. about what we saw. So two things. Yes. Over the past couple of days, mm-hmm. starting last week, Friday, I think. Yes. Uh, and ending on Tuesday was the ANC elective and policy conference. Believe it or not, guys, the conference was actually to elect officials as well as to debate. We were talking earlier about policies and what people stand for, as well as to debate and create resolutions of ANC policy, which presumably would become what the ruling party campaigns on the platform that they campaign on and mm. also the kind of laws or uh, that they will push in their in the next dispensation right so yes. in the next term of government this is what they were supposed to be mm. doing and all i can I don't say know if that is what they were doing <laughs> were you watching so everybody knows that i was watching because yes. i am the geek that watches all of these things <laughs> I was up at one in the morning, scrolling through my timeline, all my favorite reporters who were reporting live from the conference, looking at what's on ENCA, what's on Newsroom, what's on SABC, as Mm. things were unfolding at the time in the middle of the night to see where are we, what's happening, what's going on. So first you tell me if you watched. First of all, since we listened. I didn't watch. Okay. But I was following on Twitter. And I have a note to say, um, if your primary source of news and information about the conference was from Twitter this past week, then move, hey? You would have thought Zulim Kiza was going to win the, the ANC presidency. <laughs> you would have thought so. These people, honestly, if we, if, if real life was according to Twitter, EFF would be the ruling party. These people on Twitter, yep, 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 yep. But the way they vote is always left. But they're always saying right on Twitter. I don't know if they're trying to mislead us or if the people on Twitter aren't the actual people voting. They're part of that 24 million that you mentioned earlier. The people who are not voting, they're voting on Twitter and not in real life. But it was so eventful. Um, quick recap, a quick recap, um, of the top seven to start off with. I mean, we have the president of the ANC, who is still Cyril Ramaphosa. The deputy president is, um, mm-hmm. Paul Mashatile. The chairperson is Gwede Mantashe. The secretary general is Fikilem Balola. The first deputy secretary general is Nombula Mukonyani. The second deputy secretary general is Marupene Ramukhopa. <laughs> and treasurer Marubini. general. Marupini. Marupini. Oh, okay, I'm going to say it right going forward. And then the, the, the Treasurer General is Gwen Ramohoba. And it was quite interesting. It was very interesting. But I was shocked about Nomvulom Kunyana. Hey, Mama Action. Our Why were you shocked? Because our favorite Bosasa beneficiary, uh, this woman, honestly, after the whole scandal with the Bosasa, I... First of all, didn't quite trust her. And secondly, her skeletons have always been out there. 
She's one person whose skeletons have always been out there. I, I always say that this woman is two LV bags away from finding herself in a butternut orange suit behind bars. And I, I was very confused as, as to why was she in the running? Okay, so, but all of those people in that top top seven. And then yesterday, the, the rest of the list came out. Yes. Because the NEC, the ANC NEC is actually made up of 80 odd people. Mm. And so there were lots and lots and lots and lots of mm. other people who also made it into the list. Mm. And, uh, that came out yesterday. Yes. All of those top people. If you look at all of them and just, you don't even have to scratch the surface. There is one scandal or another. Mm. I mean, I saw him to do in my nana. A whiff made of it. a smell mm. of a scandal with each and every one of those top seven <laughs> people. Because. One person who, another person who actually absolutely shocked me was Mdudusi Manana because this guy, there was articles earlier on during the week saying that, no, he's, he's disqualified from even, um, being in the running to be in the NEC. And the next thing I know, I see on Twitter, I'm reading through the list. I read through every single name. I'm like, huh. And he's like number two on the list somewhere there. And I was like, hey, Bo, what's going on? He's the guy who threw a jug on somebody's head. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. He's you not know, that he's one. He's the, the, guy that the beat woman, up a beater woman because outside. she called him gay. Outside Kibana. Oh yeah, where I was this past weekend. And <laughs> <laughs> just because she called him gay, the guy who actually broke a jug over someone's head was An- Andile um, Lungisa. Lungisa from the Eastern Cape. He's the one who actually in particular caught my attention because he's the one who broke a jug over somebody's head. And he, I think he was also responsible for um, losing millions for an R. Kelly concert that did not quite happen. Bona, there were chairs flying at that conference. So that conference <laughs> has a, a lot of things. But there, there's also, did you see who did not make it onto the list? No, who didn't make it? Pravin Gordon. Yes. Into the list. Mm. Tulas Nwesi did not make it onto ah. the list. Uh, Natim Tetwa did not make it onto the list. These individuals I named particularly because they are cabinet ministers. Mm. Zuma. Yes. I think also mm. didn't make it onto the list. But, but Batabile Dlamini did, made it? Batabile Dlamini did make it onto the list. Malusi Kigaba made it? Malusi Kigaba made it onto the list. Beki Kale made it? Beki Kale did not make it onto the list. Oh, he didn't make it? I think he is also one of the individuals who did not make it onto the list. Sure. So, Mesh, you are, I remember you telling me how old you are last week. Yes. And I was particularly interested and excited to hear your view um, of all that has transpired. Mm. So are you optimistic? Are you sad? Are you excited? What does this mean to you? I'm very, I'm not going to lie. Conflicted. I'm I'm very conflicted at the moment. Um, Main reason being that um, so this is how I look at it, ne? how I look at politics, how I look at the, 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 um, the government as a whole. I always say that no party in this country is going to liberate us as long as officials are getting perks in their positions. So no matter who, for me, is in power, it doesn't matter who's in power, as long as they are disconnected from the people, as long as they are not in tune with what is actually happening on the ground within the country, They will never be able to resonate with us. They will never be able to actually solve any of our problems. And that is something that I've been trying to emphasize to everyone that I know. And as long as governments of government officials. What does that mean? So what, what does that mean for you? What does, what does it mean for you? What does it look like when they resonate, when they see, when they Mm. understand? So for me, it's first of all, as long as government officials are still not getting the likes of load shedding. It's, not, it's very low-level stuff, Sispumi. As long as they're not getting load shedding, as long as they're not experiencing um, traffic like the rest of us because they have body blue light brigades to convoy them everywhere, as long as they're not experiencing water shedding, that's not a thing, apparently, and as long as they're not paying their own electricity bills, it's bare minimum things, they will never resonate with us because they do not know the life or the struggles that a, that an ordinary South African, no matter what age, is going through. 
on a daily basis. And it's difficult to resonate to someone that you don't, you don't align with at all. You don't, you don't know that our, our problems, you hear about our problems, but until you experience them yourself, you will never have that sense of urgency. We, we are tweeting from dark homes. When now you're tweeting from your home with lights, it's not urgent for you. You're tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> That is exactly the problem. That is the problem. I have to agree there. But I also think that, um, um, well, first of all, I, I'm glad that I didn't hear too much mention of apartheid. Yes, I do agree that apartheid was an atrocity. But unfortunately, we have certain elements in all races dying to keep it alive. And the ANC has no consideration of the youth. They just want to get on. Hey, the youth just want to get on. They just want to live freely without encumbrances from the past in a fair, just and equal life in this country, in this democracy. So over the weekend, as you were on Twitter watching mm. what's happening. Yes. Um, what do you feel you know about the policies that might have possibly been discussed? Mm. Do you know? Do you care? The policies, I really do, I, I actually don't know too much. I do care. I actually haven't dug too much into them because actually nobody is sharing too much about the policies on Twitter. It was mostly about the ANC as a whole, about what they stand for. I do know that, um, they, 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 their new messaging is, is, um, what is it? ANC renewal. They are, they are renewing the ANC. Um, from what I've seen, it looks like they're recycling the ANC, but as <laughs> I, I do, I do know that they're trying to push for economic freedom for all. That's one thing they're really trying to push. And I, as, as a young person, I, I'm not seeing that happening. I'm not seeing that happening, sis Pumi. But, but what is the, the policies that they're trying to push? So, you know, and this is, <clears throat> sorry, we were talking about it a little bit earlier with Aaron. So, so this is, this is the important thing for me is mm -hmm. not just understanding the personalities. And we do have a, a country where the politicians are, have huge personalities, whether it's Julius Malema, yes. Mango Sutu Butelezi, uh, you know, UDM with Holomisa. Mm. There's lots of personalities. So Cyril Ramaphosa versus Zuelin Kize. I would much rather have been having a conversation about policy. Mm. Differences between Israeli Mkize and a Cyril Ramaphosa. Not that I think Israeli Mkize, whatever his policies are, I I felt a little bit like I was in in the twilight zone mm. because I kept thinking, guys, this man during a pandemic, he and his family looted. They he was the minister of health mm. during a health pandemic yep. this man and his family were like looting stage coffers for personal enrichment his son and that silly sheep with the louis vuitton scarf I'm like why is nobody having that conversation mm. and unfortunately i think also our our media um is very complicit in some of these conversations yes. either being forgotten or not being spoken about adequately enough mm. because they they are so enraptured by by the the sexiness of it all i mean it's it's so mm. it's heady right one of the things that watching the conference i'm also i'm looking at all the singing and the chanting and the dancing it felt a little bit like a revival it was like it did I, you know when you grow up in a church <laughs> These like Easter services, all the old people singing. <laughs> that shit is so exciting. And so it, it catches you like it, it, it sweeps you up. Yes. And that's unfortunately also one of the things that happens. Mm. But this morning as I was driving here, I was also thinking just in terms of media being complicit in creating this personality of cult, this cult of personality for mm. our, uh, our politicians. And them thinking they are celebrities. That's what makes them think they are celebrities. They're on TV, they're on radio, they are everybody's talking to them. Mm. Everybody wants to be around. Yes. Them. Um but also a, a little bit of a dereliction of duty, I think, on the part of our electoral commission. Because yes. one of the things that they do, they're the referee. They are. They're the referee for elections. They are the referee for how even communities get to experience. 
these parties. Yes. This past weekend was a terrible ad. A terrible mm. ad for the ANC. But it was an ad nonetheless. It was a weekend long, like five days Ooh. of advertising this party. Mm. And I'm wondering if we're going to see the same thing. If we're going to see the same thing when the EFF goes to their conference, their electoral mm. conference, because they're also going to have one. I'm wondering if we're going to see the same thing when the DA has their electoral conference. Mm. If we're going to see similar coverage, if we're going to hear as much, if we're going to have like wall-to-wall reporting, looking at the newspapers on Sunday, um, the Sunday papers, mm-hmm. where like four or five pages are all just the various personalities. The very, I want to see this also about John Stianhazen and whoever else yes. like competes for the big seat mm. in the DA. I want to know who's competing against Julius. If anyone dares to compete with yes. Julius for the, and will they also be called the CIC? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I read an article last night by Justice Malala where he refers to the ANC as a crocodile infested river. And I think this is quite um, an accurate um, analogy for this, this whole entire conference because it has been nothing but just personality and personality. It was like, it was like we're watching a reality show, Sis Pumi. And as you mentioned as well, that when it comes to ask anyone who was watching this, especially people in my age group or most people about the policies, we don't know the policies. We don't know the policies. We were so encaptured and, 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 um, thrown into this whirlwind of the festivity and the, and the drama of it all that, they actually, it was like a, it was like smoke and mirrors, this Pumi. Mm. It was smoke and mirrors. Oh, wow. And we were completely distracted from the fact that Borna, their policy, what's happening there? And I saw another article, um, where, um, Julius Malema did say as well, he's been announcing that one. Oh, anyone who, who will interview him, just, just put a mic in front of his face and he'll jump on it. And he, he say, I saw him say that he's going to make Cyril, Cyril Ramaphosa's life very difficult. That the EFF is going to um, get him out, no matter what. They're going to do whatever it takes to make his life a living hell. Mm. And as a young person, I don't even even know their policy. All I know is that they want land. (laughs) That's all I know. Mm. And when he says things like this, that's what we focus on. That's what all our attention is on. Smoke and mirrors. We're always distracted. So distracted by the stuff that doesn't matter, that the stuff that actually does matter gets lost in the ether. So what matters to you? You, Mash. Mm. So you're not like holding up a microphone for all the young people. Yes. Just you, Mash. What matters to you? What do you want to hear as policy in Mm. any party that would sway you to vote for them? Well, I want any party that I were to support um, going forward to resonate with me and in, in a manner that um, I, I think they should be empowering the economy. I think that they should be creating more jobs. I think they should be creating more opportunities. And more than that, I think they should be putting in the effort, the effort to empower young people, to actually not only say that we're going to empower but actually elaborate to us, explain to us. Because another thing is that young people aren't really into this stuff. And if we are, we're not really engaged in it to a point where we actually know their policies. And I think they have to educate us on these things as well. So any party I'm going to support has to be transparent. Not only give us a reality show. I watch lots of reality shows. I have a Bravo subscription. <laughs> I need them. Do not distract me because now I want to know what reality shows you are. Don't distract me with that. I need them to actually go into detail about as to how, how they're going to change our lives instead of this low level nonsense that they're spewing out at, 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 um, events, giving us t-shirts where we're running around jumping on trucks for a damn t-shirt. I need them to elaborate and not, don't be afraid to go into detail. Don't be afraid to to use words that you don't think we might understand. We have cell phones. We can Google them. That's what I want from a party that I'm going to support come the next election. So 
And what does Empower You look like? So I'm looking here, Congo Christmas. Congo Chris changed his name to Congo Christmas. He <laughs> <laughs> says the removal of uh, its discrimination and is used as a vehicle for the kleptocracy of the ANC. Our unemployment stats are purely driven by red tape of the mm. how Congo. That is the truth. There, there's a whole like... In the last state of the nation, there was a, a, an entire individual brought in to be the chief red tape cutter by the president. <laughs> Is there still red tape? Or have we forgotten about that guy? Anyway, We've forgotten about him. Uh, but you know what? Right along. So that's, that is his one. If anybody else wants to share with us in the comments what they want to hear political mm. parties talk about in their policies that would make them change their minds about who they vote for. Yes, please. Please share in the comments. Share on Twitter using, using hashtag GCS Live. Cameron says there's no youth rips in the new ANC top seven. The fossils want to rule forever. Mm. I heard somewhere someone was like, yeah, Mang Mang is the youngest person. And then I think it was Gwen. I think Gwen is the youngest person in the top seven. She's about 47. And then people on Twitter were debating that that's not young, but other people were like, yeah, but that's young in, in a holistic view compared to everyone in the top seven. She's young. I'll just remind like, everybody. It's at this moment that I'll just remind everybody that the median age of South Africans is 27. Exactly. So, Aaron. Aaron. You're like, you're the, this is, <laughs> this is what the majority of South Africans are like driving crazy on the freeway. 27-year-olds. Yes. Hardly developed. Mm. But um, we're being signaled that, listen, we have to get to the highlights now. I'm so excited to see them. As I said earlier, Sis Pumi, I have not seen them. So um, I'm also going to be here watching. And guys, please share your thoughts in the comments as well. Share your thoughts on Twitter. Share your thoughts whenever, wherever you want to share your thoughts using hashtag um, burning platform, hashtag GCS live. And let's get talking. Let's get talking. And young people. We need to step up and we need to also be on our Googles. We need to be reading these policies and be on our Googles. Asom Blief. Okay, I ahead, have w- one question before you say goodbye to Alan. The World Cup, and I know this is, is not a Gareth type of question, but the World Cup is around the corner. What do you think England's prospects are? This is important. Well, it's an important question. Well, look, anyone who's an England supporter has known that for years it's dangerous to make predictions about England and it's dangerous to dare to dream. But, you know, we did. Re- we came so close you know, in the last major championships, we are so, the team is still, you know, bubbling along there. We, hope springs eternal. We think it might be the time after, you know, how many years is it? Nearly 50 years, 60 years. You know, we're going to get there eventually and win the World Cup again and bring football home. You asked the right question. <laughs> what is Joburg's number one problem right now? So, my number one priority has always been electricity. Just because it's such an enabler and it's an economic driver. Joburg is the economic hub of the country. We contribute about 15% of the country's GDP. Mm-hmm. And if we can enable business and enable economic growth, people will be in jobs and a lot of things will take care of themselves. Our housing backlog is as a result of unemployment. We've got over 400,000 people waiting for a free house. Those people got jobs tomorrow that takes care of that problem. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our challenges have to do with our inability to support business. And if we can do that right, then a lot of things take care of themselves. Um, Another economic driver is safety, of course. Um, And we are investing quite heavily in safety, as you have seen. We've increased police visibility. We've increased even just the boots on the ground. Um, And we'll keep doing that year on year because our police person to population ratios are way lower than what they're supposed to be. And that's a concern. But we are also working more closely with the SAPs and other law enforcement agencies and looking at smart policing as well, just so that we can do more 
more with less. But at the end of the day, people need to be in jobs. And for that to happen, the economy needs to grow. And for the economy to grow, government needs to create an enabling environment. And it talks to um, providing electricity, making sure potholes are filled, traffic lights are working, there's, there's adequate safety and security. How about this then? Um, someone says here, what do we do about ESCOM? Um, and, and both of you can have a go at this because this is the, this is the central issue in our economy at the moment. Everything is dependent on us being able to supply reliable electricity. Otherwise, everybody from the, 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 the little caravan that makes Borovos rolls and Mohodu to, you know, the big corporate office building in Santon that has 10,000 employees. Everyone is affected by this thing. It's what do easy. we do there? It's so easy. Let private sector invest. Let us, broad private sector, invest, take the risk in any, you can invest in coal-fired plants, in my view. You could do nuclear. You can do gas, fracking. We've got tons of shale gas under the Karoo. Mm. And renewable energy, why not? Keep going. But we need baseload power. Let the private sector solve the problem. We can do it in two seconds. Three top things that government is there for. Because if we figure that out, we can also figure out, all right, well, what can we do without them? And what should we be doing for ourselves and making it sustainable so that kids will be given opportunities to learn in education institutions where people will be allowed opportunities to work, to make a meaningful contribution to society and those are the kinds of things that become the big questions. I don't think we need politicians to solve those things for us. We must figure them out ourselves in think tanks and civil institutions like Pumi and, and, and you and I are talking about. They must, they must hand over the budget, though. I mean, that over a trillion, a trillion red <laughs> budget well, would, come, would, never, come, would come in handy in the hands of uh, the people. Never, you will have never, to pry it from their cold, dead hands. They yeah. will never hand it over. You will have to pry it from there. It's it's the thing that they want. You know, I spoke to one uh, veteran in the ANC ecosystem, and he's, <laughs> he, he, he said he said he's <laughs> sorry. We need a moment. The, say that again. In the ANC ecosystem. Ecosystem. Okay. Yeah, all right. It's quite an ecosystem that works. In you look at the evidence at the State Capture Commission. There was, there was clear evidence, for example, implicating a cabinet minister like Gwedi Mantash in, uh, in corruption, a mm. senior ANC member like Nomvolo Mokonyane. Nothing has happened. Where's the investigations? Nothing. Absolutely nothing has happened. Not only is Gwedi Mantash the king of coal in this country, he also has a sword hanging over his head. What does it tell? What does it tell other politicians, other members of parliament, uh, other members of the cabinet, members of parliament? You can get away with it. There's no. But what does it tell the policeman on the street? What does it tell the policeman on the street? Get away with it. You know, the ordinary South African citizen is looking at this, going, "Well, if all of those guys are getting away with it, why the hell should I be honest? Why should I do all the right things? And why should I follow the law?" Of the boy that was literally taking a poo on the on the sidewalk the other day when I got there, and he was smiling at me while he was pooing, waving at me very friendly, and it's it's so normal. And and the reason I use this as an example is that he doesn't understand, and it's not his fault. He, He doesn't have a toilet or anything, but. That being said, the adults in the area, I think we, we need to somehow influence the, the general culture of people to have enough self-respect to at least clean up after themselves. Because, um, and this is something I want to use as the Mitchell's Plain, uh, uh, from the Mitchell's Plain community. I'm astounded that when I get there in the morning, I'm actually going there after this. I'm astounded at how many people literally, and I'm, guys, I'm, I'm, with soap and water, wash the sidewalk in front of their houses every morning. So they stand wow. there washing it with a broom and, and, and it, even with hot water. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a strange principle to me. But the point is that it feels like people are taking accountability for their, their self-respect and they're taking accountability for their direct surroundings. And that makes definitely makes an impact. If I just went on murder statistics uh, on their own and with, with no further outside external reference, anywhere – from Hanover Park to uh, uh, what's the other one, Lavender Hill, or mm. anywhere on the Cape Flats, because some of those spots have murder rates in excess of 150 murders per hundred thousand population. If you 
if you had to extrapolate from it, which is actually worse than uh, most active war zones with the exception of Syria. Uh, wow. that, that was that, that was about two years ago. Extraordinary. Uh, so <laughs> what I am saying is that for a very long time, South Africa has been on this trajectory. So that very and we do have the highest tax regime in the world, right? And for a very long time, that's why I bring the numbers of 2020. Mm. This has been the indicator, and what our government has failed to do for a good since. Probably since about 2011, what our government has failed to do is read the signs and respond accordingly. The, the very far extreme, which we, nobody, nobody, so coming and analysts are always, one of my favorite quotes is how analysts are, oh, get it wrong 50% of the time, and the other 50% of the time it surprises them. <laughs> is, we, we did not see Ukraine coming. But what, what was all the indicators that we saw in the past two, three years, and now that's why I bring up the issue of Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan, is, is some kind of struggle between China and America. At the worst case scenario, it being a all-out war. Our government has failed to look at all of those signs and say, how do we make the cost of living for South Africans a more workable Situation and where we are today is that they need short term solutions for a problem that has been building for a very long time. The ANC effectively made a decision for whatever reason that it was not going to seek redress. Um, it, 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 and the other thing is, of course, that the TRC recommend, recommended compensation. Um, for the victims. And that money, you know, there was a, I mean, Patricia DeLille speaks about this, but that money ended up, which was budgeted for, ended up, you know, supposed to be a social development plan, going into buying arms from the very mm -hmm. same people that the yep. apartheid government was doing business with. I mean, and what, it, what it'll do is it'll clearly show that the, the ANC gave up their moral capital right at the very beginning in order to seek a compromise with, with the government that they had replaced. And if you start with that, it's like a relationship. If your relationship starts with cheating, guess what? It's going to end with cheating. And that's exactly what the South African public have learned by both of these two hideous and horrendous regimes, both of whom are very different, but have, have mm -hmm. ugly, nasty underbellies that need examination. What if that moral compass we, we think they have is actually something that we – imbued on them and was never really there. Now, if you suggest that it is within our body politic that we are corrupt to the teeth, uh, you'd be incorrect. Because the few individuals that have participated in corruption has, of course, destroyed the image of the ANC. But we shouldn't make a mistake and think that those officials in government are members of the ANC. In fact, they are not members of the ANC in their majority. And these are the people that have enabled corruption between officials and politicians to have happened. Dada, can I ask this question? Can I ask this question? Only can I ask politicians this question? will be involved in corruption. Dada, yes, you can ask so if Cyril Ramaphosa spent, the number is a billion, well, I wanted to come to that point. That yeah, get the to the only witness the morning, of the ANC morning, was, that, was not was to that? regulate. No, no, the ANC has not accepted and acknowledged that throughout the world, lobbying and campaigning for leadership positions should, of course, be funded. And the ANC is trying to ignore the reality that, in fact, it has to accept that there will be funding, therefore re regulate as to how this funding should happen when people contest for position happens in all political parties, by the way. But, but and it's a new thing, of course, in the ANC uh, since 2007. I hear your point. What is the plan? What's the end game for Operation Tutula? I love the question that you're asking that, uh, yes, we'll keep on putting pressure on the government, but the question will be then, how do you, the same people who failed to, to deal with the issue for the past 20, 
five years or so, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, what makes you believe that they'll solve it now? Will they have what it takes to, to deal with it now if they failed all these years? So our members on the ground, they are talking about issues, that issue that we can remain civic movement, but maybe align with political parties that uh, who are willing to listen to South Africans and take the issues head on, or we are going to go to polls ourselves and deal with the problem. So there are various options on that one. But and at the moment, at this stands, it's a civic How long were you MMC for? I think for about three months, I would think. All right. And, and why didn't that last? Is it because the, 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 the local government collapsed because of the coalitions not uh, holding together? Yes, because the DA was arrogant and racist. And as a result, we left the coalition. So who would you guys be in a coalition with? Anybody. Our president was clear from the onset. He was the most truthful politician to this country when he said that we will go with anybody, even the Avia if I have to quote him. They so he was truthful it. about that. That's I'm not sure why left, anybody is The reason we left the DA coalition is because they... They, uh, they were racist and arrogant. I mean, surely the RVB are racist by definition. So that's a silly comment to make. It doesn't make sense. How doesn't it make sense? Well, you if I said, said to you... You just said why you got out of the DA coalition because of arrogance and racism. Then you tell correct. me, oh no, but we would be in an alliance with anybody, including the RVB, who by definition are racist. So where are your principles? But in the past couple of weeks, you, you've been tweeting quite... Um, loudly, I would say, about the border control issues and Afri Forum, right. which is yes. and and Afri Forum taking on this responsibility, which is not the private prosecution wing, but because now you are linked to Afri Forum, is that what you have become? Is this you've come to this organization because you believe in what this organization, not just the private prosecution, but also Afri Forum, and you are lending your credibility to that? I think what you're seeing there is, and, and, and even when I was a journalist, I still have opinions and I'm going to voice opinions yeah. on the question of the border matter. And my comment there specifically was, and, and this is a fair question. I think the Department of Home Affairs, as well as the SANDF, both claim that for private individuals to patrol a border is plainly unlawful. But yeah. nobody in the reports that I've read actually asks either of those bodies, the SANDF or the Department of Home Affairs, well, what law are you referring to? What offense is it for a group of private people uh, to walk along the border, whether they've got a, a you know, a, a dog on a leash? Um, where is the offense in doing this? I mean, a lot of these properties, as we understand it, are on the border itself. So it would be private individuals on their own land. Yeah. And it was merely a question to, well, if you're going to tell us that it's against the law, Tell us what law. But we got to talk about this hate speech case, uh, the kill the Boer case, as it's been called. I want to start off by just saying uh, that the, the, the status at the moment is that the court uh, found, this is the equality court, found that it is not hate speech to sing kill the Boer. Um, Afri Forum has, of, of course, appealed that case, and they're going to take it up a level where they mm -hmm. hope to have it declared hate speech. Now, Ernst, I haven't had this conversation with you before. But in some ways, you, you've kind of paradoxically done me a favor because the more narrow hate speech is, the more I can get away with on my show. The more, the more narrow, like I, I feel obviously, you know, if someone says kill X, Y, and Z, to me, that's, you know, clean cut kind of incitement and all the rest of it. And I don't understand what the judge might have thought here because all the things that the judge said didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But selfishly, I'm kind of pleased with this finding and I don't want you to appeal because to my mind, if hate speech is so narrow that even saying kill Gareth or kill Pumi is not hate speech, then I can say whatever I want. Then we truly have almost a first amendment of the United States kind of hate speech where even incitement in the form of like kill X, Y, and Z isn't enough to get you into trouble. I think that they are living in their own world. If you look at um, the things that were mentioned in the conference, like, for example, they were talking about um, increasing or introducing a wealth tax that's going to fund yeah. this 350 rand grant. And then also at the same time, they talked about um, having a state-owned bank 
And they also propose that the Reserve Bank has to be nationalized and its mandate in the Constitution has to be changed to include tackling unemployment. And the reality is that if anyone can just look at how to tackle unemployment and how to um, reduce poverty and so forth, you don't need to take such drastic measures. But I just think what's happening now is that they're trying to increase the power of the state, so much so that um, if the times do get bad, they still got some resources that they can use to sustain themselves. So that's 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 what's happening. And they are out of touch with reality because, I mean, if you look at South Africa's unemployment rate, I think it's 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 at its highest ever. <laughs> well, you you seem to um to to choose opportunities sometimes which get you into huge trouble, Rob. You've gone again out of the frying pan into the fire. You were just starting to um to melt back into the uh, the business world and to do the right thing and kind of get all your stuff up and running and do the deals that you have to do to make stuff happen. And then you had to go and bloody open your mouth again. You fool. Why? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that special. I mean, I just I'm telling it like it is. There was a movie in the eighties or nineties, which was, uh, you know, where this guy hung out of the window of his apartment in New York and was shouting enough is enough. And I just feel like I'm that guy, but I shouldn't be the only one. I think a, a big vast majority of the people in this country are feeling the same thing. And even though I've just said, you know, Cyril, you're, you're to blame, you're responsible. And he is, um, you know, and the ANC cabinet who are absolutely useless name by name. We should go through them. I mean, they're just mm. idiots. It yeah. shouldn't just be me because if I didn't talk about the ANC and didn't talk about Cyril and I said, enough is enough. We've had enough of load shedding. We've had enough of sewage being pumped into the ocean. We've had enough of potholes. You know, we've had enough of waiting forever to get a visa that we are legitimately allowed to get. We've had enough of, and I can go on and on and on and on, enough of, you know, state-owned enterprises being bankrupted. You know, we're enough of mafias getting in the way of efficiency in the state. If I presented it that way, you know, you'd have 95% of the population saying, I agree. But the next step is clearly why. And the reason why is because the majority voted in the ANC government and they've delivered us these idiots in the cabinet who have no interest in the country as a whole. You know, I've always viewed South Africa as a country that adopted us. Mm. You know, there was no discrimination. If I had gone to anywhere in Europe or Australia, anywhere else, you know, we would Mm -hmm. always be these Polish immigrants. We were kind of second class citizens. In South Africa, South Africa embraced us effectively, and my family lives here to this day. And so I always had this strong feeling that I need to give back. You know, it's not enough just to take. Uh, you do need to give back. And, you know, I also believe in the fact that to be successful, it's not just about hard work. You know, there are lots of people who work really, really hard, just people on this call are working really, really hard. So, you know, to be successful, you truly have to have a healthy dose of luck. And, you know, that is what happened to me. Yeah. So, you know, building up companies, healthy dose of luck, being in the right place at the right time. Um, and consequently, I don't think it was enough to just sit back and accept what came to me and, you know, celebrate what happened. You know, I, I really do have a very strong feel of kind of moral justice um, mm-hmm. and the fact that I truly want to give back. A message from somebody yesterday to please help understand how U.S. government works. Now, I could get Brooke Spector to do this for you, but I'll do a very brief overview because there are a lot of people who are confused by how this works. And in the U.S. elections, you may be confused as to what, what a governor is, what a, what a, uh, what are the others, the, the senator, what a representative is. So let me help you understand. So each, each American state, America is a federation of states. It's the United States of America. So all of the states pretty much run themselves. And in, in the vision that was outlined by the founding fathers, the states themselves had the ability to run 90% of what went on inside of them. Each state has its own executive function, which is the governor. The governor is kind of a, a state version of the president. He leads the state. He's got a lieutenant governor who's similar to the vice president, but at state level. Then each state has two senators, and they are um, both at federal and state level meant to be representing the state's interests. 
there was also because when um, Jefferson introduced the idea of a Senate to the the founding fathers and in their the the, the Constitution and the founding documents of the United States, the original idea of the senators was that America would be an empire and that the senators would also run the overseas dominions of that American empire. You know, this was 1789. So there was, the world was really just empires and vassal states. That's all there was. And America didn't see itself as a vassal state. They'd just broken off from Britain and they wanted to be a global power. And that obviously came to fruition many years later. But you have governors at the, at the state level, and then you have state legislatures, which is kind of like our provincial legislatures, like where the free state, you know, woman was in the sex tape with the Nigerian dude. With a little bit more power, a little bit more autonomy. A little bit more power. Yeah. Should be plenty. Correct. The federal system means that the state should be more important than the federal government. What is fascinating for me in the 2019 elections, I was watching Guiani closely. Why? Because Guiani didn't have water in most parts of Guiani for a month before the 2019 elections. And the ANC's vote share there declined from 75%. Can you just take a guess to what? No idea. Tell us. 74%. So it dropped one percentage point. So I said, wow, the ANC as a political party is absolutely impressive that they have convinced people in a part of Limpopo where there hasn't been water for a month to entrust them and give them another mandate for five years. Um, Guys, here's a trick question for you. Which is the best performing currency in the world right now? Um, <laughs> someone told me this, and I, I I can't remember now. I know the strongest currency in the world, I think, is the Kuwaiti Kuwaiti dollar, Kuwaiti dinar. What is it? No, I'm talking. I'm talking about which has been the best performing currency in terms of no, a, appreciating against the U.S. dollar. It's the Zambian kwacha. Really? Oh, I saw that. I yes. actually saw that. It has been the Zambian kwacha. It it, it uh, fairly recently overtook the ruble as the best performing. Let's talk about why we're in court. We're not in court because we're fighting a political battle. We're in court because council is run based on certain laws of this country, the Constitution, the Structures Act, and the rules of council. And when those are not respected by either the speaker or any of the councillors and decisions are made, key decisions that affect the lives of the people on the ground, then we do need to approach the courts for relief. That's what that battle is about. It was a fight for democracy. It was a fight for the rule of law. Um, it was not a political fight. And you see, I, I don't have a problem with the, the court battles going on as well as all no. of this. I mean, you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. And the DA has been very successful in pursuing court battles and bringing some people to book that's, and making sure that the rule of law I, is, I is respected. I, yeah. That process. Sure. Process is sure. one thing, right? I'd like you to, to maybe expand a little bit on this latest battle that you now have with the speaker. So what the speaker did is she failed to self-correct after the court judgment that was issued last week. Or t- yeah, it's last week. Mm-hmm. She wanted to bring the very same motion that was deemed inadmissible before. She wanted to bring the same motion to another council meeting and engage in another illegal process which we were not going to just sit back and allow because, again, like I said, the court battle is about democracy. It's about respecting democracy, respecting the laws of the country, respecting the rules of council. It would be a sad day, the day we all decide to set our rule books aside. How are we going to run council? How are we going to run the city? Mm -hmm. So we can't allow that, not on our watch. We have to appeal to the judiciary to help us make her realize that she operates in a legal framework and she needs to respect Is looking at where we sit in the economics of our country with high, high, high unemployment with an incredible lack of skills because of our dismal education system. Where to Covadas, you know, where to from here, what can the minister, what, what can the minister do for us? If anything, what can small businesses do to turn the situation around and what can, you know, people like you and I look forward to in this year ahead? Well, I suppose, you know, what's going to be coming out of next week is, um, which is probably something that, that uh, you guys, I imagine that 
from Lani and Gareth, uh, uh, I would maybe uh, assume their views on um, is the the basic income grant. There's going to be news on that, um, and um, um, you know, and whether we can afford it, which we can't really. But uh, so I think that's going to be one of the biggest themes to emerge from the the budgets, whether or not they've. Um, that is actually going to be on the cards. I mean, a lot of people are pushing for it, um, but the the cost of the fiscus will be immense, and and it can only really be borne if you, then you get much stronger economic growth, um, which we show no signs of attaining. Um, the I mean, Pumi, you mentioned the our, our incredibly low, and uh, I mean, I incredibly. Low employment uh, figures yes. um, are incredibly high unemployment, and this also this weird concurrent lack of skills. It's sort of a, a terrible toxic combination. But uh, you you really need political will to sort this out. And Cyril yesterday effectively stood by his cabinet um, and said he, said he absolutely has faith in them and they the South best. African people have faith in them and that's what he said I mean it's outrageous we don't have faith in his cabinet what is he talking about <laughs> by know. his cabinet as he builds a parallel structure within the yeah. presidency exactly right. if you stand by your cabinet why are you bringing in Sipo and Kosi um, and Mvusum Zima um, you know to defend Tabo though just for, for a little bit he has to say that you have to stand in front of your people and say comrades are important no we, we are we, the world needs us. If we don't no. say that, these parasites that are tearing the ANC apart right now will just keep going. And so if you, if you try to redirect them in a positive way, that's just Tabon Beki trying his best to redirect the parasites and the, and the, and the tenderpreneurs to something more positive. For Tabo. Unfortunately <laughs> for Tabo, he is in this uh, situation that the, the Babedi call Homuya Mushati. Right? Mm. He, he is, uh, what would the English? So he's twenty two. That's yeah. uh, guys. You must know I'm angry when I'm now only speaking in the vernacular. My head is is not computing in the English anymore. <laughs> yeah. He is. He is because Tabombeki should have actually and and Tabombeki must take some of the blame for what has happened to the ANC because he was one of the people that brought weak people around him who have grown to become the, because he needed that power because he wanted to be the cleverest person in the room and unfortunately mm-hmm. when you bring in weak people around you you are left with what a weak party when you are gone he should have stayed home with his whiskey well i mean he he screwed up even while he was president by thinking that he he was smarter than the the coalition of the disenchanted that gathered around him and eventually ousted him from power as you may recall i mean we there were some of us i'll admit i was i was a, i was more of a tabombeki fan uh, then than i knew but i was quite excited about what the the novelty of what jacob zuma was bringing I remember a debate, Gareth. I remember a debate where you stood yeah. very firmly on the side of Jacob yeah. Zuma is what we need. And was I wrong? <laughs> Absolutely. You were talking about you were talking about Fred Kumalo, you know, admitting that he was wrong uh, about the IOL thing. Yes, I'm, I'm admitting I was wrong. There. I remember saying a populist president is not what we need, and that we're going to miss Tabombeki. We're going to we're actually going to miss Tabombeki because. Under Tabombeki, we had, a, we had some growth there. And had load yeah. shedding when Alec Irwin was the minister in, in that portfolio. Do you remember? And everybody says, oh, no, but the Tabombeki administration, everything ran well. They stopped looking after the power plants and they stopped planning forward in advance. And we know that the Guptas made a ton of cash out of mostly the coal side of things. In fact, that's probably where they made the lion's share of their money. Um, but But we don't hear about any heads rolling. We see these guys pitching up at the... At the uh, the hearings in front of Judge Zondo, but nothing's happened to them. They're probably still living large, you know, nice Look, big pension. Of course, accountability in South Africa is a is an area that needs to be addressed. I mean, but let's be fair. Eskom itself is not an investigating authority. It's mm-hmm. got a hard enough job uh, doing what it's supposed to do, and that is to provide abundant, low cost, reliable electricity. Uh, to business, to uh, uh, industry, to consumers, to farmers, etc. 
Uh, and and these kind of investigations are very distracting. Eskim says that they have now placed volumes of evidence uh, before the Special Investigation Unit, before the prosecuting authorities, and really it's their job to take it forward. Um, and uh, we know it's not just at Eskim, but across the board that the prosecuting authorities seem to be overwhelmed, under-resourced, yep. hollowed out, uh, and are just not producing the prosecutions. <laughs> They're not even bringing them to court, let alone uh, achieving yep. prosecution. So I think the problem there goes well, well beyond Eskom. There is a new era of accountability at Eskom. I'm sure there's lots more to be done, plenty. <laughs> but at least there's a new attitude. <laughs> uh, we've still got to see that drive through the organization and also drive through the prosecuting authorities. And then I have to ask you, McKinsey's hands are filthy. And McKinsey yes. all over the world, it seems that all these people do is get paid a huge amount of money by governments to involve themselves in some of the most corrupt activities. And what I'm saying, I'm obviously saying with great care and, and thought, because this is a powerful corporation that will sue if they believe that's not true. They won't sue because in South Africa, their hands are so deep into the till and they're so dirty that they've actually been trying behind the scenes to exit quietly from the stage left without anyone noticing. Canton, it's not possible for them to do that, though, is it? Everybody already knows how dirty they are. Yes, but but Zondo clearly thinks otherwise, and so that's part of the issue that I have. The second part of the uh, the, the, the problem that I have with the, the Zondo report is that there is nothing that in any way fingers our president. Because remember, he was sitting at the right hand of Jacob Zuma for the entire time, and we don't see anything that actually puts him in the hot seat at any level. So these are the two issues that I have off the top of my head. This is why I say when you go back to the question of does Shamila Batoy possibly not have any grounds on which to actually go after people based on, uh, on Zondo? And I think the answer to that is yes, because of the fact that she's not able to do anything without in some way incriminating the current crop of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kevin, but you know everything, everything currently, whether it is mainstream media, whether it's political analysts, everything currently is constructed around protecting and, and treating with kid gloves our president. Everything. Well, <laughs> we, nobody, nobody criticizes the man, right? People were, were shocked that when he arrived at the May Day celebrations in Rustenburg, he was booed off the stage. I was like, yeah, that's how people are feeling, and they don't care. But that was hardly made the news. I mean, it was like a two-second clip, if any, and then quickly moved on. Yeah. Yeah, embarrassing, right? I mean, this shows you how far we've come. I don't think I can remember an occasion where an ANC president at May Day in particular... Yeah, it happened to Jacob Zuma. Uh, booed off the stage, no. It happened to Jacob Zuma. Really? He wasn't, he, he wasn't booed off the stage. Jacob Zuma did not run. Jacob Zuma stood his ground and just simply got his goons to get everyone together. But, you know, Cyril goes running off and then he apologizes. Transnet and ESCOM are appealing for exemptions from the BEE criteria. Now, isn't this ironic? I mean, two government parastatals saying this BEE thing, it's not really helping us to operate properly. How long until we stop with this farce, which is really just an enrichment scheme for the very, very connected uh, members of the ANC that we call BEE because then it makes all the, the black people who have no opportunity in this country feel like they've got maybe a chance somewhere, but they don't. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, look, let's quickly go through the background, which is that uh, Apri Business, otherwise known as Sarkalicha, challenged the regulations promulgated by what I like to call our honest communist, Praveen Gordhan, in 2017 when he was um, finance minister. And those provisions said the following, basically. Mm. You're not even allowed to bid if you don't have enough BEE points. And the effect of that is you're not even allowed to name your price, is that we, the, the government and the public no longer has an ability to see to what extent is BEE costing more? Because some bidders are not even 
uh, involved in the process. The Supreme Court of Appeal struck that down as completely unconstitutional. The Constitutional Court agreed with the Supreme Court, although on a more narrow basis of reasoning. And that created the situation where all of the regulations for procurement, for the huge, for hundreds and hundreds of billions of rands of government spending every year uh, as part of their, you know, 2.1 trillion budget. Uh, mm-hmm. It might even be a trillion rand of spending. That the, the, the Dondo Mohajane, the Director General of Treasury, he said, now we don't know, can we use BEE or not? Mm-hmm. So you are not, so I'm giving you the advice not to buy anything. He literally said, we must rather basically grind the, the whole government to a halt, excepting still pay salaries, but like not fix any machines, not replenish any coal or diesel, not like do any of the hard business of supplying new textbooks to schools and universities. Yeah. Cancel all of that. If we are not allowed BEE, we're going to cancel all of that. We as the Institute of Race Relations said, that's outrageous. The minister, Enoch Gorongwana, is empowered by law to offer exemptions to any organs of state that ask for those exemptions on the basis of it being in the national interest. If the only alternatives are that you can't buy anything and grind government to a halt or buy no. it without BEE, it's clearly in the national interest to buy it without BEE. Uh, for young people to get into positions of real influence. And I think yes, one of the things... Experience. That, yes, but, but now we're using that said experience as a barrier for people. For instance... Whether it was a Trevor Manuel or a Tito Mboweni or a Lindu Sisulu at 40 years old getting a position of influence, they now see a 40-year-old who has worked in corporate South Africa from the age of 25, 15 years experience, as somebody who's still got to wait to be a, a DDG or a DG. So you still got to wait, but you got 15 years of corporate experience. You've shown that you can do it. Now, maybe that's human nature. Maybe that's protectionism. Maybe that's internally looking at yourself to say, I've got to make, I, I as the person, I've got to keep everyone at bay. We've got young people complaining about uh, certain, certain babas and mamas who work at home affairs who can't even send WhatsApps. And they'll tell you the system is offline when it's actually working because they don't want to work, right? And this is where we've arrived at. Maybe it's very Soviet Union-y of us right now that we want to keep people in jobs that are actually not as effective. Government has shown consistently that they are a terrible allocator of resources, Yet we still, yet we still, purposefully kind of like yes, look to them, but kind of go with cap in hand to them for a lot of stuff. And I, I agree with you, Pumi. Like, there's it's such a it's it's such a conundrum to say we need your help, but yes, it's also you. You're a terrible person because it <laughs> technically government is is the formation of who we think should be leading us as a people, and if we keep kind of like voting for the same inept people, we're going to get the same result. And it's so frustrating because I've started multiple businesses, right? I never... Steve Biko had a term for that. Yeah? Steve Biko had a term for that. It's called acquired self-helplessness. If you were finance minister, what would you be thinking about? Sheldon, do you want to go first? What would I be thinking about? I'd I'd really be thinking about how, how to... I think we've got a massive infrastructure problem um, besides ESCOM. Our water infrastructure is, is, um, is creaking and about to, to go. Our roads, maybe not, well, there, there's the obvious, you know, in terms of potholes, but in terms of networks and the fragility of the, of the infrastructure, getting goods up from our ports to, to the rest of the country um, and having goods move around, especially because our rail system you know that's another infrastructure yes. problem. You know, so I would I would get the infra, I would I would look at how do we get infrastructure going? Because without infrastructure, you know, you can't do anything. Anything without water, electricity's being able to electricity being able to move your goods, all of that is 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 moot. You know, if you if this is this is just a this is just an observation. But you started on the expenditure part rather than the income part. I mean, <laughs> what do you guys think of this Dorator situation? I mean, Pumi's given her perspective to some degree, but I know she's saved most of it for the burning platform. And Canton, we haven't heard from you. What do you think of what's going on there? Look, I actually feel for the guy in a way. Really? And the reason why I feel for him is that he was never going to be able to turn the thing around, and. I know I feel a bit like I'm flogging a bit of a dead horse over here, but uh, remember that we've got the scenario where Dureta is forced to sell a product 
at a price that is lower than what it costs him to produce it. Yeah, correct. So he's got to actually uh, get uh, turn ESCOM around while selling electricity at a loss. And how the hell do you do that? It's impossible. Now, the reason why he can't actually push up the prices to what they're supposed to be is because of the fact that the price setting is not done by ESCOM. It's done by NERSA. <laughs> and <laughs> so well, we're never going to be able to, guys, we'll never be able to get this thing fixed. Think of this. What do you, does it, is it, is it even significant? Because really, I don't know how much of a voice I, I hear what Pumi's saying about how their, their origins contribute to the story. But really, um, I think the point that she makes at the end there about how Batabile Lamini and what's happened over the last five to seven to 10 years, you could probably say, has just been a series of embarrassments and really has let down anybody who did consider the Women's League to be a place of some, you know, some importance, some influence, a place where, where, where a certain constituency was given not only credit and, and a voice, but were also hugely influential. I mean, there was a time when the NC Women's League was one of the organs that had a big say in who was elected. Uh, I don't know if that's true anymore. What do you say? Yeah, I think this is another sign of um, the ANC crumbling uh, mm. very slowly. Um, the reason why I think that is the case is that there's a lot of things that are happening within the party. And again, as uh, Pumi said, they have a step-aside rule, and then Batabile Jamini, um, you know, gets found guilty on certain things, and she doesn't step aside, and then they, uh, you know, then they quash the Women's League. I just think that now they're really trying to salvage whatever they can. And it's just not looking good because I mean, I think even the youth league uh, also is in like in a similar status, if I'm not mistaken. So this is not looking good for them in the long run at all. And also I think um, with the women's league from just the impact perspective, I really haven't seen them do much. That's not to say that they haven't, but I haven't really seen them um, being impactful in any way whatsoever. And also I just think, um, it's one of those things, like the gravy train as well. I mean, ANC had a lot of financial problems, and they just probably <laughs> it'll just make better financial sense to just disband the women's league as well. Just like, hey, man, we don't have money, you know. Let's just disband right. the stuff, you know. We can always bring it back later on. And so, Ethel, I mean, would you would you do it all again? Because I know how much suffering and 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 deprivation this has brought for you and continues to. Would you do it all again, or would you say to whistleblowers? Guys, I got to be honest with you. In my lowest moments, it wasn't worth it. My life was better before I did this. That's a difficult question to answer, Gareth, because it feels like the heroic thing to say is, "Oh no, I'll do it all again. I'll, you know, I'll accept the wounds and the pain and the broken bones again." And and um, it's horrible going through the pain and the darkness and where I am now being removed from my family and my home and my community. So. I wouldn't want to do it all again. Um, I, I do think in South Africa, it's actually unethical to encourage someone to be a whistleblower because you know they're walking into danger. And I don't think we should encourage anyone to self-harm. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that when I am called to do it again, I, I will do it again. But by then, we've got the right support around whistleblowers because right now there's nothing. Right now, not only are you ostracized or treated with hostility, but there's actually no one backing you up. Um, and those resources are beginning to be developed in South Africa, which is encouraging. But, but generally, you, you are left on your own. And, and that's a perversity to me. Um, it's a bit what Vulcano is saying. You know, for me, I, I, I take this idea of being a citizen very seriously. Um, I say I enjoy great benefits of being a citizen. But uh, there are also responsibilities of being a citizen. And, and part of that is for me to do what I can do to fulfill the promise of what our democracy is. And so that's what drives me. Um, what astounds me, I mean, absolutely astounds me, is that not many others share that view. Um, and so, you know, I thought I was walking to battle and, and, you know, to my left and to my right and behind me would be, you know, brothers and sisters saying, we're with you, Ethel. Um, and, and still today, still today, um, you know, very few are willing to do that. Cliffcentral.com